Hey guys, and uh, welcome to our third episode of the Plains on the Prairie podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Max. All right, and uh, we got a really special episode for you today. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the Battle of Britain. We've got a few uh, events to go through right away. Um, and we're actually here at the Fargo Air Museum. Um, and uh, Max, you're, you're an intern in here today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, today's episode is pretty special. Um, we're filming with the backdrop of the main hangar of the Fargo Air Museum. Um, looks like someone's looking into the hangar right now. Uh, <laughs> whatever sorry um but yeah we're hoping that we can start filming here more often um since i have the internship here so yeah um look for a walk around of the airplanes here in the future hopefully but yeah we'll uh, get started with the show then yeah so um just uh we got a few news events um there was um one video i came across a couple weeks ago we were uh we've both been pretty busy with uh, some school stuff and internship stuff um, so we haven't been able to get onto a, a podcast episode. We have a video we found of a uh, Cessna 172 in uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, that uh, made an emergency landing on, on one of their interstates there, and uh, they were able to you know do the maintenance on the interstate on the roadside there, mm -hmm. and uh, ended up getting police escort, and they shut down <laughs> the entire uh, the entire uh, uh, set of lanes on that stretch of the of the interstate. Looking at the footage right now, I know you guys probably can't see it, but you might be aware of it. He flies under a, or he's is he still taxiing by the time he goes under? Yeah, he's the starting bridge? his takeoff roll right there under the bridge. That and is insane. Oh gosh, it's definitely uh, it takes some finesse to get a curve uh, going around a curve like that. The yeah. rotation speed of a of a one seventy two is around fifty five miles an hour. So, um, you're. I, I would have a very high pucker factor for that one. Yeah, and you're, <laughs> you're going just you're going a little bit slower than those cars, probably. But you know, you still an airplane produces a lot more yeah, lift than an F one fifty. But yeah, we'll we'll post the link down below the YouTube video. So for you guys uh, watching this uh, on video, uh, we'll be able to see that. So yeah, really interesting. Something I hope I never have to do in my career. But <laughs> so yeah, and then uh, next event is. Uh, there was uh, a lot of naval aviation uh, mishaps here in um, in August, uh, so that's something we don't want to see happen. Um, I believe there's two Hawkeyes that had some incidents occur. So, um, and then uh, I forgot the drone name. It's a it's a helicopter drone. I've never heard. Yeah, of it's it's a picture in the article. We'll drop it below. It looks like the the link's not working here, mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, something. Uh, they don't want to see the overall uh, accidents and incidents with the U.S. Navy has declined since 2019 so far, like as or to date since uh, last August in, in 2019. But, um, you know, the and I think the one was a prowler as well. So there's four mm. pretty major things. So that's that's something you don't want to see with manned aircraft, especially just yeah. because of the life, fac life factor is a lot more than. Than an airplane so so was anyone hurt in these accidents i don't believe any i believe there might have been some minor injuries but okay. there's no no injuries related to the unmanned one with surrounding aircraft i believe both the hawkeyes were okay i think it was the prowler but um correct me if i'm wrong if you guys see that article while you're watching this but um it's been a couple of days since i've reviewed it but mm -hmm. um but yeah the next one is a really interesting update on the yeah. uh, columbine 2 uh, it's a constellation uh, that was uh, dwight the eisenhower's uh, personal aircraft uh, while he's president so uh yeah we're looking at a uh, warbirdnews.com and it looks like the restoration is going very well um th did, did you see anything in there that was noteworthy um no but it was really nice to see uh 
just they're doing some work on the engine cowlings and uh you know just with those curved uh curved features on a metalworking at i don't know if you've dealt with any metalworking i have it's, not but it's it's an art it's, it is <laughs> definitely an art and it's um you know they're they're making this aircraft pristine and it's it's a beautiful a constellation it's a beautiful aircraft that Gorgeous. needs to be it needs oh to be gosh. perfect so i i've only had the fortune of seeing one constellation and it was at the museum of flight in seattle okay and I mean, that one's just sitting there. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine seeing one take off, and this wow. one's all polished, what, polished aluminum? Just yep. beautiful. And that's, Absolutely beautiful. I feel bad for the people that have to polish it. All yeah. The time. I mean, it, I like <laughs> I believe whoever, I, I think the company that bought her has enough funds to keep her looking good. Yeah. You that's, know what I'm saying? That's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, it's cool to see some uh, restoration updates going on. Um, and then um, one kind of in the air defense uh uh, news is uh, the Greeks uh, purchased, uh, I believe it was 27 uh, Dassault Rafales um, in their defense buildup. Uh, I don't know if you, if you guys have been uh, reading up or I don't know if you've been reading up on uh, just some foreign policy type stuff, but mm -hmm. um, Turkey and Greece are back at it again. Yeah. Some increased tensions. So, so that'll be interesting to see. And I believe they're updating F-16s as well. Oh, really? And uh, they're planning on finishing those total updates by I think 2028 they said in the article wow. so they're planning on having those for quite a yep. few years but modern updated fleet yep so that'll be a good thing for NATO you know just to have mm -hmm. I mean they're both NATO members but uh, Turkey's been always kind of a, yeah. a rocky uh, one yeah, since uh, Erdogan's come in but do you does Turkey still fly the Phantoms or have they retired theirs? I believe they retired all of them mm -hmm. I I want to say most of the Phantoms that are still in service are like the QF Goals. Oh, mm -hmm. so I, I think Japan. Yeah, no, I think is it uh Japan? I think retired theirs last year. Yeah. I think South Korea still flies theirs. I believe so, year. and I, I think Greece might actually. Oh, okay. I know they had them in service for a while, mm -hmm. but yeah. So that's something interesting to see. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate these uh, tensions have to rise and things like mm -hmm. that, but it is cool to see some updated uh, F-16s. Yeah. <laughs> some new purchases of some pretty sick jets. Cool. So. Yeah, and then um, how do you think the inter internship's going so far? You know, it's it's going. Yeah. Um, I nothing starts off a hundred percent smooth. Um, nothing bad or anything like that. It's just you know getting the rhythm rhythm of things. Like this is kind of the career that I want to have. So putting my foot in the door in a career that I want to have for the rest of my life is different from let's say I've done landscaping for the past five summers. Whereas I went into those jobs knowing like this is only temporary right but this is like okay i want to make sure i do everything perfectly the first time and if anyone that's ever tried anything knows very rarely if ever do you do something right the first time exactly. so um i've had to teach myself to like hear criticism and i've heard criticisms a lot but in a field that i came into thinking oh i know a lot about this already mm. i have a lot to learn and yeah. i think anyone and everyone can take a learning lesson from that whether right. it's in aviation or school or life in general so. well yeah and it's like i volunteered here for my entire time through yeah. late elementary school all the way up through high school and you know when i was first getting here i was like i was the only one at my elementary i was i was in fourth grade when i started here i remember thinking oh i, I know a lot about airplanes and just because i was the only one at school who was into this stuff mm -hmm. and uh when i got here i it was a smack in the face 
of how much more is out there. And I mean, both of us combined, we barely know a fraction no. of everything and out there. With and the history that's just behind us, you'll probably never learn everything. And exactly. And that's the fun will. of it. You, yeah, so. yeah. You're learning so, new things. Something's especially. new every day. So, well, yeah. I think we're ready to get started on the main topic topic of the show, the Battle of Britain. So, um, if you're listening to our show, you're probably very familiar with it. Um, we're just going to kind of go over a brief overview in lieu of the Battle of Britain Day, which was September 15th, 2020 this year. Um, I guess, where do, where do we start? <laughs> well, I guess you can go far back to as far back as uh, the war starting itself. I mean, yeah. you know, um, the whole war was something brand new for aviation. Yes, you had a few conflicts, uh, you got World War One, and mm-hmm. you got some of the minor conflicts in there. You got Spanish Civil War, yes, which is a huge, huge trial big. for aerial warfare. Mm-hmm. But you really hadn't seen it into full effect. The Blitz, yep. for example, that the combined use of ground and the, the coordination of ground and air forces together mm-hmm. um, was something huge. I mean, it was something and the, they, they they were so traditional, especially mm-hmm. on the Allied side. Yeah. With the French, they were kind of that World War One mindset. So they're a lot of aircraft, they still had scout aircraft as a primary source yeah. of uh, aircraft. And, you know, they got, the Allied side was very late to the defense buildup. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you had Spitfires, you had uh, Hurricanes, you had um, D-520s in very limited numbers on mm-hmm. the French side. But you had that, um, the Germans always had that, that strategic advantage. I mean, if any of you are into football or something, you know, you got an offense who can just dominate one year, mm-hmm. but they don't change their playbook. No. So that's exactly how it happened. And their playbook, Germany changed their playbook from World War One, And, you know, they had very strong, uh, they re- had uh, good tacticians. Yeah. I've, oh, you look at some of the German generals and mm-hmm. it was just a league of their own. Like, yeah. And with their force, I don't know. It's, it's against a lot of people think Germany was just unstoppable with the size of their forces mm-hmm. in the early part of the war, but they really weren't, they were less in numbers than the French, even the, even the British, they weren't as dominant as it mm-hmm. may seem. It was the tactics. Well, there's a lot of like, there, there's a book that a friend of mine recommended to me that dispelled like many of the myths behind mm-hmm. the German war machine during the war. And one thing that I, like, you know, Hollywood movies make it seem like, Germans, it's like all they had was trucks and tanks. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you gen- are take a genuine look at it, they was horse drawn. Right, they're they, very horse drawn. Very horse drawn, and you see that it's like so. This whole image of a mechanized German army. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was there, right. but it wasn't in the strength that you think it was. And kind of going back to the topic of generals. You had a lot of these generals were on the ground as like young lieutenants or like fresh out of training um, in in the First World War. And they saw how terrible it was. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, I I also another I need to start taking notes on these books that I I read. But the French, especially the French generals were so on or they they did not want a repeat of trench warfare and they prepared. Like that was the mindset. They thought that the Second World War was going to be a repeat of the first. So mm-hmm. that's why they had the Mag- Maginot Line. Yep. Pardon the butchering of that pronunciation. Um, like all these defensive networks, and the Germans just went right by them. Right through the Ardennes. Yep, right through the Ardennes. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I I think looking at how both 
the First World War and the Second World War started um, and the similarities and differences between the two, um, especially when you add aviation and its significance into the Second World War, it definitely right. makes it much more, I don't want to say interesting, that's not the correct term, but it adds another level of, di- I'm confusing myself <laughs> on this tangent, but you know what I'm getting at. So. Well, I mean, if you look at the invasion of Poland, you get the invasion of the little countries in France. Yep. They used a lot of close air support, so like dive bombers, the Stukas. Um, but the Battle of Britain really saw a shift from that. They started using the Stukas on uh, the Dover uh, mm-hmm. radar systems, but uh, they soon found out that the Stukas were way more vulnerable against yes. a very formidable air force. I mean, yes, the French, to an extent, were formidable, but they they lacked the uh, response times and a lot of the air force was wiped out on the ground. Mm-hmm. Whereas Britain had the early warning radar system. That's not the, a lot of people think that's the entire reason they won the battle, mm-hmm. which isn't, there's, there's way too many factors to go together. Oh, yes. But um, the, uh, the Stukas, you know, in a dive, they get slow mm-hmm. and they're slow and dirty. So dirty for those of you who aren't big into aviation or like big into the aerodynamic side, dirty means you're, you have flaps in uh, or gear down or things like that. But the Suka, as many of you know, had fixed gear. So you're yeah. very producing a high amount of drag. And in a dive, you know, the purpose of dive bombers is to be slow in a dive so you don't uh, stress out your airframe too much. Mm-hmm. But that's a big trade off from for your speed and uh, maneuverability. So, because your control effectiveness slows down. I'm getting on an aerodynamics right Oh, no, here. that's, but, that's uh, fascinating. But uh, they were found to be very vulnerable. So, mm-hmm. But the Germans were very successful in eliminating the airfields Absolutely. or making them uh, out of service temporarily um, because that was their prime focus for majority of the battle. Uh, and it looked like they were going to win for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, the repetitive bombings of the field, um, you had the lack of experience on, um, on the British pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was going to touch on yeah, the, the 1969 movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a classic. So. Um, no, but I was like you had mentioned the Spanish Civil War, and you compare, like how much combat experience. Like mm. some of these British pilots, I, I don't think it, any of them flew. I mean, maybe covertly, but yeah. that's in, implying something. But the German, they had the Condor Legion, and they were mm. fighting against Russian and Spanish. Was it communists? I believe. Yep, the Republican yep. force there. Yeah, communist back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and they. They did have the superior aircraft due to their industry, uh, but um, but yeah, the, the experience levels were way different, mm-hmm. especially at the start of the battle. I know through the whole course of the war that really changed. Um, German pilots became very they became very short on pilots in, yeah. in Germany towards the end of the war, um, and they lost a lot of their, their excellent pilots over mm-hmm. Britain because they were flying over. They had the disadvantage of flying over enemy territory. They were always in enemy territory yeah. in a lot of their early war offenses. And uh, I don't there's a, there's a lot of factors that go into play there, but, um, you know, we can just break down the aircraft now probably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you got from the British side, the main main two fighter aircraft are the um, uh, Spitfires and Hurricanes, a very popular aircraft. You guys know I'm pretty biased towards the Hurricane. <laughs> but uh, the Spitfires were, um, were predominantly used as, uh, as an interceptor for the fighters. Uh, the hurricanes were sent up more for the bombers just due to the um, uh, less maneuverability of the aircraft and they were inferior to the 109 in 
in a lot of the aerodynamic aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, they were much more heavily armored, though, weren't they? They were. They could um, take more of a beating? They could, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, the aircraft themselves, the Spitfire and the Hurricane, had similar engines. They were uh, carbureted Merlin engines. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a disadvantage to the carbureted engines, though, as, as an, in a negative uh, G maneuver. Um, the engine would actually cut out because you're cutting off that fuel flow oh, to the engine. Really? Wow. Whereas um, the 109s and the Daimler Benz engines, they had uh, they were fuel injected, so you can you have fuel always injected. Mm-hmm. It's being literally injected into the cylinders and and mixed there. Um, so there are many advantages and disadvantages. So I can talk about the 109 as, as well. Um, uh, if you they're more comp- the Spitfire and the 109 are very comparable. Mm-hmm. The 109E and the Mark Ones and Mark One As of the Spitfire, and um, you know they had similar capabilities uh different armaments obviously mm-hmm. a 20 millimeter is much more effective than a 303 which the the 20 millimeter is what the um uh, the 109s were armed yeah. with um you also had the was it 16 13.7 millimeters as well um but uh the british had uh armed the majority of their fighters with 303s mm-hmm. and uh, both the hurricane and spitfire had the eight 303s um and uh, he had sk- I, in my opinion, there's superior fire, firepower to the um, to the 109, but with the Hurricanes and Spitfires, you had you had higher volume of weapons. So, yeah. Um, it, it's kind of a trade-off for um, rate of fire, and if you're into into weaponry, you know, you, if you have a higher caliber, you're typically going to have a lower rate of fire. Um, but then you get into uh, you know turning radiuses for the if you're to put a 109 and Spitfire into a dogfight. Um, you find uh, that the Spitfire is a little bit, a uh, little bit more superior in the turning radius in a turning fight, uh, as, as long as the pilots uh, significantly are the same. I guess if a pilot is better on the mm-hmm. German side, you could make a good case for a turning fight. But um, you know, in the end, they're really similar. Yeah. Um, yeah you put the same pilot mm-hmm. or you know comparable pilots of the same skill set, and it's. And it gives the bomber crew even, yeah. a good reason to grab some popcorn to watch that. <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah, and uh, you know those are the main fighters. You had uh, gladiators on the mm-hmm. on on the on the British side, but they uh, they didn't score any kills really? in the entire. They battle. were biplanes, weren't they? Yep, yeah. gladiator biplanes. They were pretty uh, outdated by the time World War II rolled around. Um, they are famous for their uh, defensive Malta, which is something we'll cover in the future. Um, that was kind of when we were planning this episode. We were kind of on the fence of about doing Battle of Britain or Malta. But uh, we decided since it's the 80th of the Battle of Britain, it's such a significant event, we went with it. Mm-hmm. But um, you also had Bristol Blenheims. Uh, they were night fighters. Uh, actually did really well. Uh, they were converted to Mark 1 Fs. Uh, as most of you know, they're, they're a light bomber, mm-hmm. light to medium bomber. Um, but they scored uh, really well at nighttime uh, when the, the Germans did day and night time raids. Yeah. And when they switched to doing full nighttime raids, they were yeah. the mainstay. I was going to say, obviously, in the United States, Spitfires are it's somewhat common. Mm-hmm. Um, hurricanes, not so much. But those, what did you say, Bristol? Br- Blenheims? Blenheims? Yeah. No. I don't think there's I, any. <laughs> I have seen, I went to Oshkosh in 2016, so four years ago. Mm-hmm. And there was a Blenheim Mark IV cockpit section, really? no section. Um, was that it was under, on display. On restoration? or um, No, it was just actually, a, they, it was this... Um, Kind of like a reenactment of a field, like an airfield. Oh, gotcha. And they just kind of had that on display there, and it's pretty sweet to that see. That is cool. So, Very cool. Something you didn't really expect to see there. So maybe there might be some in Canada. Maybe a road trip. I, one I, of these yeah, days. that might be a good one to go to the <laughs> museum there in Toronto. 
So, um, I think Nepal Defiant. That was also a uh... yep. Uh, the Turreted Fighter. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, the Bolton Paul Defiant. Um, you know, it was a radical idea for the time, just to stick with the Turreted Fighters, and then you can justify not having to do turning fights as much. And the problem with the Defiant is you only had the turret; you didn't have any fixed forward firing weaponry, and uh, there's a reason you don't see this on aircraft. No. You don't see turreted aircraft. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember as a child looking up different, like Spitfires and Hurricanes, all these really cool planes, and then it came to this. It's like, oh. I mean, it looks kind of interesting. It does look. It, it, it kind of reminds sweet, me of um, a Sturmovik. A little bit, IO, yeah. It's got a similar yeah. wing profile. Um, yeah, they weren't very successful as day fighters. Um, <laughs> night fighters. Night fighters, though, yeah, they're they very, very, very famous for that. But yeah. yeah, those are the main uh, main British aircraft for fighters, and then obviously have the 109 for the, yep. the German side. Um, 109, 110s, uh, the BF 110s, yeah, BF heavy 110s. fighters. They were found to be quite ineffective in the battle, mm-hmm. just because they were not much more maneuverable than the HE 111s, <laughs> J 88s, mm-hmm. and DO 17s, the bombers they were protecting, and um, that was kind of a, a fault there. And um, and a lot of people overlooked the Italians. Yep, side. I was going to mention yeah. the Italians were there. Yep, they yeah. weren't very successful no. either. But <laughs> well, you had the, the CR forty twos, yeah. the the biplane, bi-plane. really sweet biplane, probably mm-hmm. the best, arguably the best biplane fighter of the war. But uh, it was plagued by underarmament and the old mindset of the Italians. They're kind of like the French uh, with that old mindset. Sums up the Italian experience in the war pretty well. Yes. <laughs> but it looks like you got some bombers pulled up. Yes. So if you want to mention um, those. So we'll start off. Um, obviously, there were like Germans loved their bombers. Um, my personal favorite is the Junkers JU 88. Um, that was a medium bomber, multi engine. Yep. Um, and went through many different iterations throughout the war, but during the Battle of Britain, it was its infancy. And I believe it was obviously quicker than the HE-111, not by much. It was but, quite a fast aircraft, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, And they used them later as both night fighters and heavy fight, yep. fighters against Very good night fighters. Uh, yeah. Later on, they're used as torpedo bombers, too. Yep, that's true. It's just such a sleek-looking airframe. And mm-hmm. Then they had um, yeah, BF-110s, as you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. Um, like you said, didn't do very... A, a lot of these, other than the HE-111, a lot of them... They they had they found their way throughout the war. It's like yeah, ooh, they, maybe a heavy fighter isn't the best idea, but at night, this th- this entire battle is the perfect. I know it's it's kind of proving ground. It's I'd a say. proving ground. Yes, it, exactly. Um, and you you see these uh, aircraft, and you're like, why was it used as that? Yeah. But then that was that, that, how they yeah, found out. That's so. how they found out exactly. But. Um, yeah, BF-110, and then, like I said, the HE-111. I believe there was one. Yeah, yeah the, the DO-17. Mm-hmm, DO, the pencil. Yep, the, yep, flying, the flying pencil. pencil. <laughs> yeah, that's actually my favorite of the three. Really? I, I like the look of them. They're really widely used in Spanish Civil War to a lot of su- success um, in the Poland campaign. But uh, they were starting to age out mm-hmm. um, by the time the Battle of Britain came in and uh, later replaced by the 217s. Yep, I so those, the two seventeens became night fighters as mm-hmm. well, right? Yeah. Yep. So they were, all of these were actually, I, I don't think the J-88 was, but the, the 111 and the DO-17s were airliners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, during I the know defense the build-up. 111 so. definitely was. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and you also got uh, the BR-20 um, on the Italian side. Mm-hmm. That was used um, 
Um, I didn't know this for a long time, but the Japanese actually use those really? PR20s against uh, China. Interesting. Uh, that, yeah, that whole subconflict that deserves a podcast. Yes, episode. that's yeah, I, Chinese troops equipped by the Germans fighting. It, and it's the weird. Russians <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, so it's that's one we have to cover. I, I mean, uh, a little sidebar here. I don't know if you guys have watched the. Have you seen World War Two in real time? Have you heard of it? It's is that on a History Channel? Uh, no, it? it's a YouTube. Okay, yeah. Uh, or the Great War, maybe. Uh, they go week by week chronologically through the war. So right now, like it's the twenty seventh of September. They'd be covering a week right now, mm-hmm. and they would uh, talk about what happened however long ago. I think they're in 1941 right now. Really? So they started in 39, and they've been doing it for two and a half years, and oh, you learn awesome. a lot about these conflicts. There's kind of like a day-by-day thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, they really are good at covering the Sino-Japanese War. Yeah. But uh, the, the full Battle of Britain is covered there in about three minutes a, a week. And they talk about the developments of it, the Italian intervention in the Battle of Britain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as in uh, the 15th, we're, the reason we kind of came up with this is the 80th anniversary of Battle of Britain Day. Um, you know, without this, this battle is such a significant thing. And um, with our podcast being aviation focused, I mean, why wouldn't yeah, we yeah. cover it? So it was a no-brainer. Um, are, are there any aspects of the the battle that you want to talk about like a certain um, squadron or a... well you have the famous uh, 303 squadron mm-hmm. of uh the polish yep you know the polish were so fired up after you know their entire country being taken over uh, by both the soviets and the germans and the atrocities on both sides they were fed up with it ready ready to get some payback on the germans and you know the battle of britain they proved that uh time and time again um uh, so the polish um I believe they throughout uh, the Battle of Britain they operated the hurricanes, mm-hmm. um, and it's actually really well covered in the uh, in the Battle of Britain movie from 1969. Um, there's a lot of humor in there with like the the miscommunications that came up with it. Mm-hmm. I don't, you've seen the movie. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Repeat, please. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, but yeah, they they're such an excellent uh, group of people and such a courageous uh, mm-hmm. way to pay tribute to their country. Yeah. Well, There's you, actually another yeah. movie on Netflix. I I watched it. I can't remember what it was. I think it was all in Polish, but it was about the about the uh, 303 squadron. Really? Very cool. So, well, you, um, I think there were a lot of different squadrons that were made up of form or expats of many of these yeah. occupied countries. I you know got the Czechs. Of, yep, the Czechs. You got, um, you got a couple Czechs of Czechs. Czechs is the Czech, one that comes to mind. Yeah, the yeah. Czechs are a major. The Czechs and the Poles were the main two. Mm-hmm. Um, you had people as far away as Israel as well. Too. Really? So, I did not know that. Yeah, at the end of the movie, they actually uh, talk about every... Oh, I do remember. Yeah, yeah, they have the yeah. scroll at the end in the credits. So. There were a couple of Israelis in there. Um, another one uh, very commonly talked about is the Eagle Squadrons mm-hmm. that were made up of American volunteers before the Americans actually entered the war. Um, I know a lot of those Eagle pilots went on to have... Um, very distinguished careers within the United States yes. on the Air Corps during the war. Yeah, that added uh, experience. Exactly. So. Reminds me of the uh, the Flying Tigers. Yep. Kind of getting a, a little taste. I mean, I guess the yeah, Flying Tigers were already fighting before. No, it was before what, Pearl Harbor for a short yeah. time. Um, but yeah, the Eagle Squadron was was an amazing group of pilots. You know, they flew predominantly Spitfires mm-hmm. in the battle. Um, the only there is a movie out there called Eagle Squadron. I think you actually have it pulled up there. But oh, yeah. uh, if any of you seen the the film uh, Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck in it, 
I could be uh, missing. <laughs> yeah, and he that covers the Eagle Squadron a little bit. Uh, That's what both of them were Eagle Squadron pilots in the beginning, right? Um, and then one of them got shot down. I believe just Ben Affleck okay. was. Um, but yeah, he got shot down, and uh, but that it was kind of an interesting take on it. Yeah. So yeah, this film is pretty old, but um, I read a book a while back on on the Eagle Squadron. I'll have to we'll have to just compile a list onto our onto our, one of our pages. Mm-hmm. Like we have to do maybe some videos on some books, but that's a really interesting book. Uh, covers kind of the stats of the Eagle Squadron and things like that. Sweet. So yeah, and you. Um, those were the main the main two i i really that really yeah. come to mind and um that most people know um but yeah i um as many of you might know i i build uh scale models as well mm-hmm. um and i i like to i have a few uh 303 squadron aircraft that i that i've built up over the very years, cool so. awesome um yeah and we can maybe talk a little about strate- or strategy um throughout the battle yeah. you know germans as i said earlier focused on the airfields um but then uh there was a, I believe it was an HE-111 dropped some stray bombs. Mm-hmm. Over, they got lost and just dropped bombs, and it happened to fall in London. So, then uh, Churchill, you know, being Churchill, was like, "All right, we gotta, yeah. we gotta go well, to Berlin." Yeah. So they didn't realize it was an accident, um, and Hitler did not want. He was very upset when they dropped the bombs on on the uh, on London. Because of the pushback, it wasn't necessarily oh we dropped some bombs because Hitler's knowingly done other things yes. before that, but um, he was also trying to sue for a, a separate piece. Mm-hmm. So because he, doing that, he was he's afraid of Britain. Yeah, but anyways, he was afraid of that pushback on Berlin and you know the civilian casualties that come with that on the German people. But as soon as they dropped the bombs on Berlin, Hitler's okay. We gotta demoralize these people, mm-hmm. and it's all or nothing at that point. And that drew. The attention away from the airfield, therefore giving those airfields uh, time to be operable, mm-hmm. operate aircraft more efficiently. Oh, and another thing back to um, the Spitfire and Hurricane uh, comparison, actually. Yeah. The um, the time for them to, uh, their fuel time and uh, time to get ready was significantly lower for the Hurricanes. I didn't know this. Um, I think it was 26 minutes for a Spitfire to get ready. Really? Yeah. So if they were... Just stone cold, not ready. They always were, though. Yeah, because that's where the scramble yeah. came from. Yeah. Before, if they if they weren't scrambling, it would take twenty six <laughs> minutes for a Spitfire to get ready for flight. Whereas in a hurricane, it would take about nine. Nine. So wow. Significantly less. That is very significant. So, but, and that was another thing: the scramble. It was not really a thing. Really. Before it was, but the British kind of. You know, they knew which squadrons to scramble. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to scramble the wrong one. Yeah. And it, it became such an efficient thing. They got up in five minutes or less usually. And that's saying something. I mean, when I fly my aircraft uh, up at UND, you know, it takes us 15, 20 minutes to get off the ground yeah. after we pre-flight. Yep. After we start the engine, it takes that long. Yeah, they were not doing pre-flight checks. Before no, they were flight. just going up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, putting a lot of faith into their crew chiefs there. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, it's you also have that will of the people exactly. is a huge Absolutely. part of, of the reason they won the battle was they, you know, they weren't demoralized. They weren't um, they weren't brought down by the bombings. Mm-hmm. It actually made it, them stronger. Yeah, it strengthened their resolve. And uh, the British people, they knew they're close to sea lion, you know, the British yep. or the, the German, German invasion, invasion of the British islands. And uh, they kept pushing it back because of their success. Yeah. 
and they were this close. You know, if <laughs> if uh, I can't, can't even imagine what that would have been like. No, it would have. The war would have. Yeah, <laughs> you can go through what ifs of the entire war, but absolutely, it it's just uh, you got to admire the pilots and the people, the civilian population. They wouldn't have, you know, they had uh, uh, scrap metal drives to go build Spitfires. Yep, and you know the aircraft production stayed stayed well, and the German actually the German production stagnated because you know Hitler was so preoccupied by Russia, mm-hmm. the Soviet Union. Uh, he wanted to focus east, but the British kept getting in the way. <laughs> so, British. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, the Battle of Britain, 80th anniversary. It's kind of occurring right now. Uh, battle ends in uh, October. Yeah. Um, Is it late October, I believe? I believe so. Yeah. Um, oh, and there's also, if you don't, if you have anything else to add, we can maybe transition. Um, well, I was going to mention... Um, Battle of Britain is very popular in, so well, maybe not social media, but in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I, I assume many of the people that are listening to this have seen the 1969 classic. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we're a bit biased, but that yeah. movie is awesome. Um, but like, uh, like Sam also mentioned, um, Pearl Harbor has an opening scene, and maybe not so much the Battle of Britain, but a good watch if you have the time is the first like five minutes of the first Chronicles of Narnia movie hmm. where it shows the blitz from the ground. I ever, I remember, and then we'll move on, but as a kid, I went into that movie kind of like, oh, this is going to be kind of boring. And that opening scene where the German HE-111s are flying over and a swastika is one of the first things you see in this movie about, you know, Chronicles of Narnia with a Christian background, I was hooked. <laughs> so it, it's definitely worth a watch if you have the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then also actually one more thing to add is um you know, in the film Battle of Britain, they didn't use actual one oh nines, they used the, the mm-hmm. Hispanos. Yep. Um the Spanish built one oh nines. they actually have I I believe this one oh nine or it's the H E one or I forgot what it's the one twelve eleven twelve. I'm trying to remember the the Spanish uh designation, but they have one actually at the Air, Air Venture Museum in Wisconsin. From the movie? From the movie. Oh, very yeah. cool. So they're a four-bladed prop. Uh, they have Hispano engines. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's something really cool to see that I got to see there. Um, um, at Oshkosh, you know, it's typically typically uh, American aircraft. Uh, uh, it's HA-1112. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. But, yeah, something really cool to see. Um, they're pretty, I mean, as common as those warbirds are they're definitely more common than an original yes yeah, so than a 109e there's not many 109e's no. out there um i don't i don't, I don't think know any are, are flying i don't i i think there's one over in europe oh okay. makes sense but um a lot of a lot of spitfires out there the only there's a couple around in the u.s that are flying uh, there's a mark nine in mine on yeah is that is it a mark one hurricane they're storing yeah they are yeah it's a hurricane out there that is under restoration so yeah it's that's a place that we need to that's that's a video we need to cover so awesome but yeah um i also forgot to mention i don't know if you watched it uh yesterday with the uh, arsenal democracy i I watched a little bit i didn't have too much time yesterday but um yeah the arsenal of democracy uh you know it's a massive amount of aircraft i think we covered a little bit of it last time, just kind yeah, of we, introducing. We yeah, we uh, in the beginning segments we were talking about um, what type of aircraft we're going to be. We're we're going to be there. A lot of commemorative air force aircraft. 
Um, but yeah, it ended up, uh, what was it? What was it canceled? Or it might, it might've been canceled. I, I, I got to watch some of, they had some like pre videos, mm -hmm. but, yeah, um, yeah, the weather kind of hindered them on Friday. I was getting all excited because that was the day I, I was more available to watch it. But um, yeah, so Mother Nature is not the nicest sometimes. Especially for air shows. It yeah. seems like every time there's supposed to be a good air show, Mother Nature gets in the yeah, way. And COVID. And <laughs> I was going to say whether it's COVID or rain or something like that. But uh, what do you do? I mean, eventually this thing will be over and we'll be hitting up some, yeah. <laughs> definitely knocking on that one yeah. hitting up some air shows and fly-ins in the future it's gonna be i i will say the air show the first air show after covid is like oshkosh 2021 hopefully we're, Best we're oshkosh gonna have to, we have ever. to make it out there yeah, it i be, mean we have to make that happen yes. for this podcast and, absolutely uh, that we'd have hours and hours and hours of videos but um yeah that that would be amazing i when i went there four years ago I was frustrated because I didn't have enough time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I well, stuck in the, long and I stuck in the warbird section the most, for the most part. I'm also really interested in, uh, I mean, they have one section where they have like, they had a C5 and mm -hmm. they had kind of the newer generation of aircraft. And then I'm also interested in uh, vintage civil aviation. Very cool. So we have a Spartan back in here in the museum. Um, that's something that I really have a spot, soft spot for. So I, I like to go visit the red hanger is if any of you guys know about that at oshkosh um and then i'll probably be stopping over at like und and stuff mm -hmm. like that next time cool. but, well speaking of uh und um i believe someone yep <laughs> kind of graduated up is that uh, not graduated but well not graduated but it got, got the com yeah. yeah well i uh actually on friday i passed my uh commercial check ride so at UND, they do it a little bit different. Uh, typically, in a in a normal setting, there's there's two different regulations that flight schools fall under. There's Part 61, mm -hmm. which is like you go into like a mom and pop type flight school, and there's 141 where it's an organized university or or a very structured school. Um, but through the Part 61, you need to have 250 hours for the commercial, whereas under the 141, you just kind of work through it. Mm -hmm. And I I only have about 195 hours. Gotcha. So, gotcha. But yeah, I ended up uh, passing that. Just by the hair. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's what matters. Um, but yeah, the, the check ride went good. Uh, I ended up getting that multi-engine uh, rating as long, along with my instrument rating. Awesome. So, so I got that three in one cool. punch. So, you know, unfortunately with COVID right now, the economy's kind of poor mm -hmm. and job offer opportunities aren't, aren't out there right now. So I'm not, I'm not pursuing any jobs right now, mm -hmm. but um I'm going for my flight instruction. I'm starting out actually this week. I just have to get uh, cleared cool. to, to enter awesome. into that. So I'll hopefully within the next few months, I'll be a flight instructor moving on. You can and, help me then. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it was really exciting and biggest milestone in my career so far. Awesome, so dude. that's very awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. And it's, it's really humbling to get that far. I mean, my grandfather was a pilot, commercial pilot, yeah. didn't have the instrument or multi-engine. So it's kind of, He's uh, he's giving me some some crap talking about how I'm more what rated than him now, but you know, it's really cool this to, uh, to be a part of that. And then my cousin actually is a he's a pilot. He just actually got his private pilot oh, a week awesome. and a half ago, down in Eden Prairie, Eden uh, Prairie. at Aviate Flight School. Yeah, he's flying similar craft to what we have at UND. Nice. So we got three pilots in our family now, maybe more if I get my brother on board. There you go. But, um, <laughs> 
but yeah it's really cool it's kind of the family aspect to it too awesome yeah definitely makes it a much more special thing yeah and insurance goes down as yeah. you get more experience <laughs> so i need some more of that but uh but yeah and then uh i'll be getting into i'll be doing some more flying videos now um, i'm gonna have a lot more time on my hands now that um on the weekends and stuff like that so i'll, I'll be uh getting access to some aircraft and maybe we'll uh we'll get some videos up that we can awesome. go up and do some flying and then next year when the uh when the flying season comes back hopefully gotta knock a lot this video but um we'll end up doing some videos on that so we have a lot of ideas for you guys out there i mean we have endless ideas we we have all these aircraft of these are all opportunities for videos in the future so so uh, expect some of that eventually um with COVID, obviously we'll have some um hurdles to jump but um we'll be sure to keep getting that content out to you guys absolutely i so, forgot to sign off so i gotta do it oh right yeah no now. problem <laughs> um but yeah so um with that uh we're gonna be getting i mean i'm planning on getting some updated camera equipment yeah. some gopros i'm probably gonna get a couple gopros um you know just get them mounted on some aircraft when we fly around um and then uh we do have a lot of cool ideas jotted down for you guys um you know once we get into a few more of these episodes we'll probably have some good opportunities for uh some hangar visits of, of pilots we can talk airplanes with them yeah short interviews mm -hmm. we'll, we probably won't keep that as part of the the podcast unless or, on, or like if, an they'd be willing if, to, if yeah. they were willing to come in with all the covid stuff it'd be awesome but uh, I do have a couple of pilots who are willing to walk around the aircraft. Awesome. And I do have one potentially that would take us up in an aircraft right now. Really? So um, it'd be kind of a cool video. That would to, be very cool. <laughs> be cool to throw in there. Um, so, but yeah, keep an eye out for on our page for some content. Uh, you know, both of us are quite busy. But yeah. We're going to be sure to get all this content out to you and um, mm -hmm. just kind of keep it exciting yeah so yeah we, we i think we've mentioned this in the past episodes but the reactions and feedback that we've gotten from the first two episodes completely blew my expectations yes. and i am just we're very grateful for that so, yes it's very humbling yep it is and you know i got people from my high school are like oh that's really cool and you know a couple of years ago i would have been like i don't want to share a podcast <laughs> yeah and, yeah so i'm uh, the same way i getting messages from people that i haven't talked to in a long time and saying like hey man your podcast is really well put together i yeah. enjoy watching it at work and that's what we're here for and it's a nice casual conversation it, it doesn't it need to be scripted we're not going awesome. yeah and so. we're we're not I, I i mean as much as we'd like to delve into the nitty-gritty details i think just keeping it pretty casual yeah. for right now and i mean you guys can always request stuff for us oh, please I mean, absolutely. we we need we have ideas but we want we to hear, hear what, what you exactly want to here if that makes sense yeah and we'll uh be sure to put out some walk around videos maybe we'll have to put up a survey oh, what yeah. they want first maybe a, we'll yeah, have to get, yeah, let's, as you can see like kind of i'm kind of blocking it but we got got an f-16 right there that uh, f-16 I, I mean every plane in this hangar has history but there is a lot of history behind that specific f-16 <laughs> a lot that might be one we have to, we're gonna have to get on pretty soon. Um, yeah, you know. hopefully the the guard doesn't come back and snatch it before. But hooligan history is huge. Um, we did, yeah. We got like a biased one episode. over here with yeah. the hooligans, but a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, we we got plenty of content for you guys. A lot of history, just in 
this building alone. There's two buildings here. If you guys haven't been to the Air Museum, of course we're gonna we're gonna plug the Air Museum a lot, but um, mm -hmm. but there's plenty of history here to view. And you know, Max, you'll see him behind the desk here. Um, come in and say yeah, hi. come in and talk airplanes <laughs> for him so he doesn't get too bored. Please. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you can see all these airplanes. We can't go play with them. So yeah. unfortunate. But well, um, I think. Uh, I think our kebab flyer um, in recognition of, was it on this day in 1954? 54, yes. On this day in 1954, the North American, yep, North American Aviation F-100 took its first, no, it wasn't for, is entered service. Entered service. Entered yep. service. Um, so our kebab flyer for the day is an F-100F Super Sabre. Um, serial number was 563855. Now, this aircraft is on display in Oaks, North Dakota, um, a bit out of the way, especially from Grand Forks, yes, but yep. even from Fargo, it's out in the boonies. And um, a friend of mine, two summers ago, was passing through when he worked there, and he sent me a picture. He's like, have you seen this? F or have you, he doesn't. He said, have you seen this plane before? And I was like, w what? <laughs> no. So I, I was able to get more information from him, and... I tracked it down and it's a two seater. So okay. it, I thought it was a trainer at first. Mm -hmm. And after doing a little bit more research, I learned that like the, yeah, the F-100 was one of the few planes that the training versions were used in combat hmm. as a forward air, air, yeah, forward air control aircraft. So this plane would have been um, monitoring. I think it had an army observer in the back monitoring where the, airstrikes were coming in from other F-100s and Phantoms, I believe. But I believe if it was an F-100, it was mainly an F-100 mission, strictly. Um, but yeah, no, it's on display in Oaks. It's a Vietnam combat veteran. Um, there's a lot of information on it. Um, I can put the uh, the link to the post that I wrote about it a couple months ago at the beginning of COVID. Um, make that accessible if you want to read it. But She's lived quite the life. Um, she was on display in New Mexico for a long time at a small museum before the museum, I believe, closed, and she ended up in North Dakota. Um, she's one of the two F-100s on display in North Dakota as well. The other one is in Fesden, if I'm saying that correctly. I think so. Fesden. Yeah, so, yeah, I always so, have trouble. Something along those lines, but the one in Fez, land, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, is a... Uh, not in the best shape. Let's just say that her the message behind her is good, but the markings are lacking. If you, I think you know which one I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, um, yeah. On that note, that's the the kebab flyer for the day is the F100. Yeah, and I'm surprised to you know I don't cold war uh, cold war aircraft aren't really my my mm -hmm. specialty. Yeah. No, I get that. But uh, I didn't really realize how long they're in service for. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the guard retired them in the late 70s. Yep. And they were used as drones up into definitely the late 80s, if not later than that. And I saw a couple of Air Forces used them all the oh, way yeah. through the yeah. 80s and early 90s. And no, they were a extremely successful plane, especially in foreign markets. You have, I know, Turkey flew mm -hmm. on, they flew a lot of ex-American oh, yeah. ones. Mm -hmm. um, Turkey, I, I know Turkey was a big one. Germany, mm -hmm. Germany had them. Uh, West Germany, to be specific. Um yeah, I, I mean, obviously there's more, but those are the two that really come to mind. Um, but no, this, a lot of the um, American ones were either expended as drones or sold off to foreign nations. But no, this this one was a lucky one. She uh, 
she made it back and she was actually so technically she is a qf 100 okay but she uh she avoided the the young rookie pilots over yep. the gulf of mexico so and yeah they're Thank also for famous for uh, flying for the thunderbirds oh that's very I, I true i believe they were the first uh supersonic aircraft to yeah fly, mm -hmm. to fly for the thunderbirds yep. so i actually have a sign in my in my room here at my parents house in fargo with the thunderbirds on it Sweet. yeah actually this here. one um at at the monument where it's on display at, which is actually very nice. Like, mm -hmm. not bashing oaks, but, like, in the middle of a very small town, it's very well put together. The plane is obviously beat up. It's been exposed to the elements for several years. But it's a very nice, very well put together display. And you can get right up next to it. I was not expecting that. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely worth visiting if you're into F-100s or Cold War aviation like I am. Um, I've been trying to find the time to get back down there and yeah. hopefully do another video. But no, she's full of history and in dire need of a restoration. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think, I think we had one more. Uh, yeah, we had one more event today. Uh, first flight of the TSR-2. Oh, that's right. Such, yeah. a, such a sweet airplane. <sighs> Beautiful. Uh, I know anybody from from over the pond listen to this. They, you know, they worship that aircraft. Yes, they do. It's a, a shame that it never took off pun right. intended but <laughs> and they, beautiful oh my gosh some cool concepts i've been seeing of like uh, the nato camouflage for the, mm -hmm. the raf and you know it's such a an interesting what if yep oh, and absolutely just about imagine so. mm -hmm. worth yeah. mentioning definitely um i know there's only one surviving fully intact mm -hmm. and that's at the imperial war museum i believe so yeah yes. and then i believe there's a I know at least one cockpit section. There might be more than one, but definitely one. Yeah, Very yeah. I'm not. I'm not the most versed on it, but it's 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 the interesting aerodynamic it, aspects of it. It was a nuclear strike bomber, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Very high speed and oh, such a pioneer of its awesome. time. Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of a stretch saying this, but it's the XB70 of Britain. Mm. You know, the XB70 yeah. behind that. It was such a revolutionary aircraft and it never got rolling it was the same same role so cool yeah well, all right i i think that covers everything for episode three yeah and um i think we'll do you are you cool with putting out a like a post or like oh, a absolutely. like a poll a yeah, poll yeah. on, I'll do the on what to do a walk around yeah we can do that yeah cool so so yeah keep an eye out for that uh check some links down in the description we'll have that video that 172 taken off we'll have uh the kebab flyer link to his post um and uh, we'll probably throw the other articles down there too. Yep. So sounds good. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks guys for watching or listening. Uh, uh, be sure to uh, you know tell your friends about us, and Please. we really appreciate yeah, all the do. all the viewership and listening that you guys have been doing um, to our constant aviation rambles. Yeah. So, exactly. Um, We're glad that others enjoy listening to us talk about it. Yes, and uh, you know we'll be. We're still in our growing stage, yep. and we'll be we're planning on always growing. Mm -hmm. And yep. you know, you'll see us branch out into some really interesting things. You know, I'll I'll have some flying videos, and you know, you got a daily insight on the air museum. Yeah. So there's exactly. always developments Always here. something that I can do. I I would like to start doing like, if I have free time, like after museum close, just doing an Instagram live session where yeah. I walk around each individual plane. But pun intended, all up in the air. So we'll yep. uh, <laughs> got a lot of those today. Got a lot of puns today. But yeah, but yeah. All right. thanks guys for watching and uh, keep an eye out for our next podcast and uh, potential walk around videos. So cool. I'll see all you guys right. later. Yep. Have a good one.